Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. This is the word of the Lord. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let me pray for, um, as we start. God, we pray that your word would have power in this time, uh, not just for instruction, but uh, it would be a word that seeps deep into our heart. And as we hear about the, the power of um, your word and uh, the ways in which it works, uh, I pray, God, that that similar power that we see and learn about in the book of Acts would also be something that we experience today in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> All right, so we're, we're back in the book of Acts, and uh, this, uh, this is a series that we're going through because one of the things it focuses on is the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, but it also talks about some of the uh, early happenings of the early church when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. And if you remember, the church is born and you have like thousands of people who are responding to uh, the preaching of the gospel through, um, you know, for example, through Peter. And they're hearing the gospel, their hearts are cut, and they believe, they repent and believe in Jesus. And if I were to have like a, I don't know if you have like fantasies regarding like what you do in your vocation, but for a pastor, I think a, a, the fantasy of a pastor is like, oh man, wouldn't it be amazing to like live through something what, like what we see in the early church? Uh, this great movement of faith and I would love to see like thousands of people after hearing the word and hearing the gospel, they're cut to the heart and they repent and believe in Jesus. I would love to see uh, a lame man healed and uh, maybe even be willing to endure some of the challenges that the early church faced in view of this powerful work of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, as with all kinds of fantasies, what we don't think about is, like, the challenges that arise with it. And, of course, the book of Acts is pretty transparent in terms of the challenges that were faced by the early church. So as the word is preached and as people come to faith and as there's this great movement of the Holy Spirit, you have challenges coming from the outside in terms of, like, uh, persecution uh, but you also, you know, as there's this great movement of unity and everybody's like sharing everything they have and people are selling their land and giving uh, to the poor, you also have uh, people who are lying about what they're giving and then they're struck dead by the Holy Spirit. And then even here you have uh, an opportunity for division to arise because of administrative challenges, okay? And so while for me... Uh, I don't enjoy administrative work, and uh, some, I don't know, sometimes it doesn't feel like ministry. When I think about ministry, I think about, you know, uh, preaching the word and doing Bible study and, and talking to people, but it turns out 
administration is a very important component <laughs> in terms of loving people well, and it's a very co- important component in terms of preaching the gospel. Uh, he, you have here in verse 1, and explains the situation to us, and it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now let's talk about the Hellenists. These are all Jewish people, but there's different kinds of Jewish people. So Hellenists, they were like the Greek-speaking Jews, and they had been scattered and they had lived in foreign nations, and so they had adopted uh, the Greek language as their, their language of um, like comfort. And so as a result, you have like these different aspects of foreign cultures like coming together, and there's like uh, some maybe miscommunication. Uh, eventually, these Hellenists, they returned and they settled in Palestine, and when they returned, they weren't the same as the Jews who grew up in Palestine who were called the Hebrews. These Hellenists, they spoke Greek, and while the Hebrews, they spoke Aramaic. And so if you're uh, an immigrant or children of immigrants, you might understand what that might have been like. So for me, my parents, they were Korean immigrants. They immigrated to the U.S. from Korea. I was born here, so I grew up in the United States, and therefore I'm most comfortable with uh, the English language. If I went back to live in Korea, I would have a lot of issues because my Korean is not that good. I need to go to Jean's Korean school, right? Uh, It's hard to say for certainty what the dynamic was like in the early church between the Hellenists and the Hebrews, but we do know that it did lead to at least one problem and a pretty significant problem. The Hellenist widows, they were being neglected in this daily distribution. So if you remember from a previous passage, people were like kind of giving, people were selling their land so that those who were in need would, um, you know, have what they need. And imagine you have like now this like big pot of uh, funds and it's not going to a certain group of people, not because like people didn't want to give to them, but basically it's an administrative challenge. And so you think about it, widows, when we look at, think about widows in the ancient world, it's a little bit different than maybe widows in, um, in our modern world. So in the modern world, you know, women often, like especially here in New York, women usually have like their own jobs and careers and have the capability of supporting themselves. Uh, widows will oftentimes have things like life insurance in the event that their spouse dies or there's like a retirement plan uh, in which you know, you're somewhat financially secure. But think about the ancient world. None of those things existed. And um, widows were susceptible to poverty because they relied on their husbands. Their husbands were the breadwinners. And if they didn't have an inheritance or another means of support, they themselves would find themselves in a position of poverty. And so they were the most vulnerable or one of the most vulnerable people uh, during that time of being ripped off, which is why Jesus condemned Pharisees who devoured widows, which basically means they took advantage of them and they pilfered them. And that's why the Bible often mentions taking care of widows alongside of orphans and the poor. Now, I should also say, (coughs) uh, taking care of widows and orphans and the poor Uh, we can't assume that was the norm in every culture. So in our culture, something like taking care of widows, it makes sense. Taking care of orphans, taking care of the poor, it makes sense because, believe it or not, our culture has been shaped by a Judeo-Christian worldview or Judeo-Christian values. But the Romans, they weren't like that. So one of the commentaries I read, uh, one scholar says, like, there's this huge contrast between the way Jewish people viewed the poor and how Romans viewed the poor. Jewish people tended to write about the poor as you know, being pious, as being deserving of charity, whereas the Romans, they tended to write about the poor as being dishonest and undeserving of any kind of alms. 
Jewish communities would often make it their responsibility to take care of the widows, whereas Roman society tended to view, as, view widows as being a drain to society, as contributing nothing to society. And so the reason why the Jewish community took care of the widows is, is pretty simple, ultimately. God's word commanded them to do that. And the Christian church, they carried on the Jewish tradition of caring for widows. Uh, and early on, uh, even through this daily distribution of food and other kinds of material necessities. And so the issue here in the early church, again, it wasn't a desire or unwillingness to uh, help these widows. They gladly gave their money and their possessions to help those in need, but the problem was largely an administrative one. For some of us, you know, when we give our money to charity or some kind of organization, there is uh, often little thought about the details of how that should get distributed to people, right? But if you've ever had to be in a position where you had to think about the best way to distribute monetary aid to somebody in need, you know that it can be a very time-consuming and a very complex matter. Uh, the early church, they were willing to share all their possessions, but that wasn't enough because they couldn't properly execute the distribution of it. And the reason for the hiccup seems to be because the apostles were the ones who were doing most of the distributing of the food to these widows. So look at verse 2. That says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And what's interesting here is how they interpret the problem. The problem is like, it's not for them. They didn't want to serve uh, tables. They didn't want to distribute the food. That's not the problem. But the problem for them is it took away from uh, the preaching of the word of God. And so in the book of Acts, the author is actually trying to show us, even in this section, that the word of God has power. Right? The word of God has power to, to change people, and therefore the preaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel is incredibly important. And you look at verse 7, it says this, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And that's meant to be the summary statement in terms of what happened after the apostles appointed these seven men to take over the daily distribution. They were free now to preach the word of God, to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer, and as a result, the word of God bore fruit and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. So <clears throat> their solution is to appoint these seven men to do the work of administration, of distributing this food to the widows. And what's interesting, it gives us all the names of the, the men who were assigned this and it describes them. They were men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And you might think, well, couldn't you just find like anybody to, to do this who's willing to do the work? Why was it important for them to be men of character and maturity? And I think this shows us that, you know, um, serving tables is not an unimportant menial task. It's not simply focused on performing a task, but at the end of the day, it's about people, right? It's about loving people. It's about ministering to people well. And sometimes when we do something to serve, whether it's serve in the church or serve elsewhere, uh, the temptation for us is like just to focus on the task and reduce what we do to a task. And it's, easily, uh, it's easy to forget the purpose of the task is, at the end of the day, to love and to serve people and to care for people. And the church didn't simply need people who could hand out bread to widows. I'm sure a lot of people could have done that, but it needed people who would do so uh, with love and care and wisdom. I was listening to <coughs> the show on NPR a long time ago, and they were having a conversation about why giving away money can be such a complex thing. Uh, people involved in humanitarian efforts, they'll often tell you that 
Although it may seem like simple, it's like, oh, these people have need, just, you know, give them money. Uh, it actually requires a lot of wisdom to know how to best uh, serve people and serve their needs. So sometimes there's complex questions that arise, uh, questions like, well, you know, who qualifies for these resources or who can these resources be used for or what can these resources be used for? Can be used for food, medical bills? Yeah, sure, that's obvious. But what about other things like maybe taking their kids to the zoo? Well, what about transportation costs to visit a friend? Uh, how long do we give these resources until it uh, becomes more of a hindrance than a help, right? There's all these kinds of questions that people have to think about when it comes to helping people. And these are, again, hard questions that require wisdom, love, and Christian maturity. And moreover, uh, it requires knowing people uh, in an intimate and a personal way. And it may require spending a lot of time in order to uh, get to know people. It may require listening to them, understanding them, discerning um, what's best for them requires that things be done with integrity, with no sense of favoritism. Uh, that's why these seven, who all have Greek names, by the way, these are uh, Greek-speaking uh, men who are appointed, um, that's why they are appointed to take over this task. Because ultimately, it serves the gospel, and it allows these apostles to devote their attention to ministry of prayer and the word. And um, I've preached on this passage a few times because it's, it's like... Uh, the early stages of what would eventually become the deacon, right? So that's, that's what uh, we have deacons for, and that's why deacons do what they do, administration and administering mercy. Now, there's something uh, I do also want to clarify here. Uh, it's not as though serving these widows is like this optional supplement to the preaching of the word, right? It's like the preaching is the main thing, and then, yeah, if you can help and serve these widows, then great, right? I don't think that's the way we should look at it, but rather, I think the way we ought to look at it is serving these widows is a necessary complement to the preaching of the gospel. To put it another way, without a heart of service and mercy for those who are in need, then uh, our expression of the gospel is ultimately not complete. Why? Well, <clears throat> if you think about the gospel, what is the gospel about? It's about mercy, right? Uh, I think I, I say this most of the time when we have communion, but when we set up the table, I say this, I say, we are all beggars, right? We are all needy beggars in need of God's grace. We come to the table knowing that we are beggars. And as desperate as a widow might be, um, in terms of relying on the mercy of others to sustain them in life, spiritually, we are just as desperate for God's mercy to give us life for salvation. And for the Romans, the poor were a, a drain on society, and I'm sure many New Yorkers view the poor like that as well as the Romans, but if anyone should understand the need for mercy, it should be the Christian church. Because we of all people, we should know that we also are in need of God's mercy to us. But here's the thing. You know, I was thinking about this uh, a lot about myself as well maybe we don't know we need god's mercy <laughs> yeah we know it in our head but experientially maybe we don't know we need god's mercy you know why because it is possible to confuse you know our socioeconomic uh, place in this world with our spiritual status right it's possible to live in such a way where we don't recognize how much we need god to be with us as long as we have food on the table, as long as we have a place to live, 
as long as we have a, a job that gives us a salary to live somewhat comfortable lives, then maybe we don't really know that we're beggars. I was reading this article uh, on philanthropic efforts, and it was analyzing who gives the most to charities. Uh, you know who gives the least to charities? The middle class, right? In terms of amount, uh, you have like the ultra wealthy, right, who are like in the top 1%, like the millionaires and the billionaires. They're actually pretty substantial givers. Uh, but in terms of the percentage of income, it's actually people who are uh, poor who are the most charitable, who are the most generous, who give the most. And you would think that those who have very little to give also have very little to spare, but it turns out those who have the least to give are the most generous. Now, I'm not sure, or I'm sure there's actually a study probably trying to analyze why that is, but my guess is that those who struggle in life, those who don't have a lot of material possessions and a lot of money and those who know what it's like to kind of be in desperate situations and have to rely on other people to help, they probably know how important mercy is because they've been recipients of it. And therefore, they're quick to give and to help others who are in need because they know what it's like to be in need. Uh, <coughs> a couple weeks ago, uh, one of our deacons, Dennis, organized an opportunity to volunteer at a food pantry called the Father's Heart. Uh, I wrote about it in, in a newsletter. And to be quite honest, I think we were both like kind of disappointed that nobody came. <laughs> I don't say this to make you feel like guilty or anything, but we're just like, wow, how come nobody came? This is like the lowest hanging fruit of what we can do to help those in need. Uh, they literally do all the work. They literally do all the organization and all the administration and they just assign you a job to do. So my job was to hand out produce, right? Put produce in a bag and just hand it out. And, you know, even though nobody uh, from our church showed up, I can understand why nobody showed up because if I'm going to be honest, I didn't really want to go either. Uh, that particular week was a long week, a very tiring week. It was early on a Saturday morning. Uh, I didn't feel well, right? I was somewhat sick. I really didn't want to go, but I'm like, ah, right, to be honest, I'm the pastor. I have to go, right? So I went. <laughs> but you know what happened uh, afterwards? I was actually really glad I went, um, and here's why. I don't, I don't think I changed anybody's life, and if you think about it practically, anybody could have done what I did, just hand out a bag. Um, <clears throat> but I was really glad I went because... I think I needed to be reminded of the importance of mercy, uh, the importance of need, that there, there really are people who have deep, serious needs out there. You know, I was talking to some of the people who, like, they're called supervisors, right? So they, they volunteer, they volunteered there for such a long time that they can now kind of be leaders of, like, these different groups. And <coughs> I got there probably between, like, 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning. But they were saying, apparently, people start lining up for food at 3.30 in the morning because they need it, right? They need it for the week. Uh, where do I get my food? I get my food from Fresh Direct. Why? Because I can afford to. Uh, I don't have to wake up at 3.30 in the morning to get my food. I just go into my app. I select the food that I need, and I choose what time somebody brings the food to me, right? Can you believe that? And because so much of our lives may be like that, it's very easy to lose sight of the importance of mercy, right? 
I have said uh, children have much to teach us about faith. That's why we, we need children here. Um, it's not just the adults teaching the kids, but adults, we need to learn about the nature of faith from our children. I would say the same thing about those who are poor and those who live lives that, you know, pretty desperate. Those people who have to line up at 3.30 in the morning to get food for the week. I would say we need them as well because we have to be reminded of our spiritual disposition. They're, they are mirrors to what we really are when it comes to our relationship with God. They teach us how important mercy is and how much we need mercy from God. And I would guess, hazard to guess that, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us live pretty comfortable lives and we have our most basic needs met. Yeah, of course we have hardship and challenges, but still we don't uh, necessarily find ourselves so dependent on someone else's heart of mercy towards us, right? And sometimes that kind of life experience, I think, maybe, can seep into our spiritual disposition and it's easy to forget how much we need God to be merciful to us so that we might have life. Um, I don't, again, my intention is not to make you, you know, feel bad about it. Um, I'm sure we all have busy lives and busy schedules. Um, I, I do think we all need to do it, though. <laughs> not for the people we serve, but for our, our souls, our hearts. So next time Dennis uh, or maybe one of the other deacons organizes something, uh, prioritize it and do it. And I, I promise you, you won't regret it, and you'll grow from it, and you'll be filled from it. There's a Greek word that I want to draw your attention to here. Uh, the word translated as distribution in verse 1 is uh, diakonia, diakonia. Uh, the word for serving tables in verse 2, diakoneo. Now, why do I point that out? Well, it's, of course, you hear the word deacon, right, in, in those two words. And it's generally thought, as I said before, that this is the early stages of what would eventually become the deacon in the early church. What we see in our passage is not the uh, necessarily official institutional formation of this, this office, but what we see in our passage is mercy was very much built in and intertwined in the early church with the preaching of the gospel. And you see why I say it's, it's not an optional add-on, it's complementary, right? Because if we preach the gospel and we believe that we need God's mercy and God has been merciful to us, then we ought to express it to others who are in need of mercy as well, right? Now, it's a word that is also very frequently used in the New Testament, and it's also used to describe Jesus himself, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. For example, Mark 10.45, Jesus says this, the Son of Man came not to be served, that word diakoneo, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Romans 15, 8 to 9, Paul says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant, a, a deacon. He became a servant in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Jesus is a king of a different nature, of a different order. Why? Because even though he's so glorious, even though he's so powerful, even though he's so full of authority, he didn't come as like this um, superior figure, although he is. 
although he should have maybe. Jesus comes to us as a servant. What a great message for Christmas, right? Preparing for Christmas. Jesus came to us as a servant. Uh, He wasn't born in a palace. He was born with animals in a manger. John 13, Jesus is spending his final night with his disciples. He knows he's going to go to the cross. He knows he's going to die. So what does he do? Uh, He doesn't go get steak, right, and have this, like, nice final meal. You know what he does? He gets on his knees, and he washes his disciples' feet. (laughs) Can you believe that? He washes his disciples' feet. He uses a, ties a towel around his waist, pours water into a basin, starts to wash their feet. I don't want to wash any of your feet, and you got socks and shoes. In the ancient world, they don't have socks. Their feet are incredibly dirty. Jesus gets down and does something like a servant would do, right? Not, the, not a king, but a servant, and he washes their feet. It's hard to imagine um, any of us, like, be like, willing to do that, even for somebody of, like, you know, equal status. It's even harder to imagine someone of, like, greater status doing that to somebody of, like, lower status. And if Jesus is the very radiance of God's glory and the imprint of his nature, there is no reason why he should be washing his disciples' dirty, nasty feet. <laughs> but he does. Why? because he's a servant and he's merciful. That's part of why expressing this great gospel that we proclaim, that we hear, that's why it has to be matched with showing mercy to those around, to being able to serve tables to those who are in need, not as an optional add-on, something that's central to what we proclaim and what we believe, right? I know uh, we're a small church and it feels like there's very little we can do, like we can't solve the the homeless population. I get that. Um, We don't have like a building, so we can't like set up cots and have people sleep in a building that we own. But there are things we can do, very low-hanging fruit. We can give up a a Saturday morning. and help another organization, right, serve food. Um, And if you ever feel in your heart you're not, like, spiritually doing well and you need to be reminded of God's mercy, I think it's a a great way. It'll remind you that God is merciful to us. Um, I tell you, there are people there, right? Everybody that serves there, they're not, um, you know, they're, uh, they're doing it, like, with, like, their companies as, like, an activity. And, uh, you know, some of them are not, like, really into it <laughs> or great in it, <laughs> which is okay. Um, or they're just kind of doing it because some companies, I think, give you time off to volunteer. <laughs> uh, that's okay, right? But in our hearts, uh, we, should, we should serve because, one, it expresses the gospel that we pro- profess to believe. Two, I think it'll encourage us I don't have a three, so those two, <laughs> right? I thought I had a three, but those two. Um, I, hope, I hope we can make this a regular thing. I think um, that's probably one of the more encouraging things that uh, we could do, like think in terms of encourage us. And some of the people who do serve there, they're like fantastic. I was like so encouraged by their heart. 
uh, one person, my supervisor, she was just sharing like during COVID where uh, everything shut down. Um, and you know, a lot of food pantries shut down as well. They, they continued to serve food. And her, she was like, oh yeah, the church that I go to, you know, stopped meeting together. And I was just like longing for community. And for that period of time where we were all serving during COVID, um, it was like my connection to, to a community. And she's like, you know, this ministry saved me. And I was like, oh, that's awesome, right? There's, there's a lot of great stories. And uh, we need to be reminded again. Like, I know, I know, like, when we look at people on the street, we probably think more like the Romans, right? <laughs> uh, when we step out the door and, like, some people are not clothed properly, it's like, ugh, right? I get that. Um, and I'm not saying, like, it's, it's our job to, like, uh, to save them. Um, but what I'm also saying is we all need mercy. And when we look at them, it's not that we're, it's our job to, to save them. But when we look at folks, we're saying, wow, that was, that's who I am. That's how God would see me, spiritually speaking. And he was merciful, and he reached out to me. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you for your mercy. And, you know, we're such forgetful people, and because... Uh, sometimes it's uh, just part of our habit and our nature to rely upon ourselves and to rely on the comforts that we can provide ourselves. Uh, sometimes we forget how desperately needy we are uh, of your mercy. And yet you have given it to us so freely that you've given us your son, that you've been gracious to us, that it's not even something that we have to work for or earn for ourselves because we are in no position to be able to earn it. But it's a great gift, and as we uh, get ready for this Christmas season, to remember that Jesus came as a servant to all, dispensing mercy to those who are in need, that we are, in our heart of hearts, uh, ultimately beggars of grace. And you fill that desperation, that, that need for life and salvation. Uh, you, you fill that for us because you gave us your Son. So I pray, help us to be a merciful people. Um, for some of us, I know for myself, compassion doesn't necessarily come easy. And so if that's the case, I, I pray that you would reveal to us your compassion to us and it would touch us in such a deep way uh, that we can't help but express compassion and mercy to others. Transform our hearts in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.